could pink-collar crime be happening in the shadows of your business? Today's guest says embezzlement and fraud happens everywhere there's trust. And when we come back, she'll explain how it happens when you least expect it and what you need to do to keep your business safe. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, helping you see business issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line. Welcome to Business Confidential Now. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, and today's guest is pink-collar crime expert, Kelly Paxton. Kelly is a certified fraud examiner, private investigator, and author of the book, Embezzlement, How to Detect, Prevent, and Investigate Pink-Collar Crime. She's got more than 20 years of investigative experience with an expertise in finance that spans both public and private sector, and she's worked undercover, white-collar fraud, money laundering, and narcotics cases, as well as embezzlement, conflict of interest, and intellectual property cases. So, okay, folks, (laughs) looks like we're going to have our own financial James Bond on the show, so fashion your seatbelt and welcome to Business Confidential Now, Kelly. Thank you so much. I have never been called a financial James Bond. I kind of like it. (laughs) By all means. (laughs) So, Kelly, how common is pink-collar fraud, and what exactly is it? So, pink-collar crime is low to medium-level employees, comma, primarily women, comma, who steal from the workplace. This term came out and was popularized in 1989 by a criminologist, Dr. Kathleen Daly. So I didn't come up with this, but it is the one crime women really excel at. And for women in the audience, don't get upset with me because I'm not picking on women. I'm highlighting the fact that they are in the lower to mid-level positions only, yet they know where every dime that comes into a business and goes out of a business. So they are the ones who have access to money. And, you know, you said a little bit about my background. I was a special agent with U.S. Customs. My idea of criminals were bad guys. And most people think of criminals as bad guys. Well, I hate to bring it to you, but it's not the bad guys that you need to be scared of. It's the nice people that you work with that, you know, end up crossing the line and they might steal from you. So it changed my view of criminals. And I say I can't get out of bed in the morning if I think everyone is out to rip me off. We have to trust people, but it's trust but verify. Does that make sense? Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, maybe if those lower level positions got paid more, they wouldn't feel the need to steal. (laughs) But that's a separate conversation. Do you find that this kind of pink collar crime is more common in small and mid-sized businesses? Do they have more than their share of this? as compared to large businesses? Yes. So they say statistics on embezzlement. It only 15% of cases go to law enforcement. And a bigger company has internal auditors. They have external auditors. They have tons of resources. And so they generally, and this comes from the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, they will catch a fraud quicker than a smaller business. And the size of a fraud in a big business is about half the size as in a small business. So the smaller business who can least afford it, it happens to more often, it goes on longer, and it's actually much more financially devastating. Well, those are some fun statistics. 
what is the average size of a fraud for a smaller, medium-sized business? Can you give some numbers around that? Um, I'm according to the ACFE, it is about two hundred thousand dollars, but the statistics wow. are really hard because so many people don't turn their frauds into law enforcement, which is a whole other thing. Victims have a lot of shame, which I, you know, part of the thing why I do this is I want victims to kind of come out of the shadows and own the fact that this happens. An employee took advantage of them. You would say, and I said this in a a webinar earlier today, if you got your car ripped off, Hannah, or if someone broke into your house, would you be embarrassed to say that? Probably not. Probably not. But I, I understand that they're embarrassed that somehow someone took advantage of them in a way that they allowed it to happen. Yes. So I am, it's crazy, you know, um, news stories about embezzlement get posted on the internet all the time. And you go onto a news organizations like Facebook page, and someone will say, you know, there'll be a story about a business that got ripped off, say a half a million dollars. And you can't believe the comments, like, I'd like to be so rich that I could lose a half a million dollars or gee, what were you doing while they were stealing a half a million dollars? Like the victim shaming, I am out to stop. Like I, you know, these people are ruined like mentally because they trusted the employee. The employee a lot of times was their right hand person. So I say it's a bad divorce with a lot of money. That's an interesting way to put it. So how are these pink-collar crimes committed? What are the most common scams? Yeah, you know, hashtag, I'm the fraud hashtag queen. And hashtag, it's not rocket science. I'm not a CPA, but I can trace money. Money goes from the business to the suspect. The money doesn't go from the business to Liechtenstein to Panama to cryptocurrency to the suspect. The number one way, forged or unauthorized checks. It's as easy as that. It's like hashtag, it's not rocket science. Vendor fraud, you know, expense account fraud. Again, it's not this sort of Monday laundering where you, there's placement, layering, and integration. The money is in the business and it gets to the suspect. It's pretty basic. Well, then why do these things go unnoticed for so long so that the dollars get bigger and bigger? On my podcast, Great Women in Fraud, I just had... Uh, Susan Frew, who actually was a victim of embezzlement, and she came and talked about her experience. And it's as simple, and I, I don't want business owners to think I'm being like snarky by this. It's as simple as opening your bank statements. You must open your bank statements, and you must be the first person to open your bank statements. I have a client who half million dollar theft, and she would go online and she would look at her online statement, but she did the fat finger caper, which is one day she accidentally hit view image, view check image. So she was going down and mentally in her head, she's like, okay, check 2512 was $3,000. Yeah. And she's going down. She accidentally hits view image and check 2512 for $3,000 that she thought was going to a vendor was actually written to her bookkeeper. So this woman is on a mission to get the other people in her very small industry to look at every check, front and back, every check, front and back. You don't get your check, but you have to be the first person to get your mail. And 
Rita Crunwell, who stole $53 million from Dixon, Illinois, which was the hometown of Ronald Reagan, the president, trust but verify, she stole $53 million just by writing checks, and she always got the mail. So all the artificial intelligence data analytics in the world, it doesn't do anything if you're not the first person to get your bank statement. And that seems really kind of crazy, but you're thinking of bigger things. And a lot of business owners, I don't know if you do this, they kind of run their business totals in their head. Like I've sold a million widgets. I net $10 a widget. Therefore I have $10 million and they don't verify it. I was just listening to a podcast with a very successful speaker. And he goes, Friday afternoons, my, my money person calls and tells me what's in the bank. And then my accounts receivable person calls and tells me what's coming in and the accounts payable, what's going out. He is taking their word for it. He doesn't, he's not looking at the bank statement. He's just taking their word for it, which, you know, I'm tempted to hook him up on LinkedIn and say, dude, you need to actually look at your bank statement. You need some checks and balances in there for sure. So besides the bank statement, what are some other warning signs or flags that a business owner, business leader should be on the lookout for? So I call these pink flags instead of red flags because we're pink collar crime. Um, this is another one that people are like, what? I don't get this. An employee who never takes a vacation. Why don't they take a vacation? They can't miss work. Why can't they miss work? Because they're going to get the bank statements. They know when they come in. They are going to answer the phone. And when that customer says, my statement is incorrect, you aren't showing that cash payment I made last month or whatever, or why haven't you guys paid me for three months? They are there all the time. And, you know, a lot of business owners think that that is loyalty. No, it's covering up. That's what it is. So not taking a vacation is another big pink flag. How about one more? Oh, I love this. These one. are great. The parking lot audit. And I get this from a colleague of mine, Deanna Campbell. I just used to say, look out the window. She goes, we call that a parking lot audit. Look out the window. There's a guy who lives about two hours from me. And one day he looks out the window and he sees his administrative assistant drive up in a brand new Cadillac Escalade. And he's like, hmm, I know what I pay her. And then he starts listening to her. And she starts talking about her horses and her stables. And he's like, I know what I pay her. There is no way. Sure enough, 800 and I believe $42,000 she had stolen. So look out the window. If you have a $30,000 a year employee who has the brand new Tesla Model X, that's a problem. Or if they go to Disneyland, I have this whole thing about Disney. Disney is really expensive. If they take a vacation that is not commensurate with, you know, their salary. So it's kind of the lifestyle audit, parking lot audit. Look out the window. So what kind of defenses do these people have? Because, you know, when you talk about this lifestyle, it reminds me of a story a friend of mine told. Her, her husband was a doctor, and they noticed that, Yes, you know, one of the the staff members was dressing really sharp, designer clothes all the way, and the car, and just a lot of expense account lunches, and they and all of it was being charged to the business. All of it was being charged to the practice. And when they confronted her, she's like, "Well, you've recruited me to hire other doctors. 
I need to show that this is a successful practice. So I need the car. I need the clothes. I need all of this. And they even took her to court and they lost. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, that is, that is just pouring salt in the wound. It is so pouring salt in the wound. It's so funny. I was just on vacation and I'm on this like day cruise and this woman comes up and she starts talking to me. And of course, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, Oh, I'm the pink color crime lady. And immediately she's like, Oh my God, I got to tell you my story. And the same thing she, <laughs> she had. And that's the thing is, it's the relatable crime. Like most people don't relate. If I said, you know what? I tracked down the Bernie Madoffs of the world. They just go, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. But when you say I help small businesses stop embezzlement by trusted employees, they're like, oh, it's Kevin Bacon's. Everyone knows it. Do you know three out of five dentists get ripped off by their office manager? Three out of five. The next time you go to your dentist after they've maybe given you Novocaine and everything, say, hey, I hear this crazy statistic that three out of five of you tennis get ripped off. And if they don't say anything, bingo, they've been ripped off. <laughs> I'll have to do that. I have to go in another month or so. That'll be a fun conversation. So, you know, I, we've talked a little bit about some of the things a business owner can do to determine if there has been fraud but what kind of steps can they take proactively to stop it? I mean, besides reading their bank statement, because if they find something there, the check's already been written and probably cashed. So what can they do ahead of time? You know, a big thing is tone at the top. So walk the walk. If you, you know, if you come in, <laughs> this is dentist, poor dentist. I love my dentist, but he's been ripped off. If I heard this one story of a dentist who his assistant said, if I hear one more time about his Lexus, BMW, or Tesla breaking down, I'm going to take the drill and stick it in his ear. Now, that dentist has worked really hard to get the Tesla, you know, BMW, and whatever car. And it's not, it's not the employee's right to judge that. Just be aware of it. Another thing is living out of the corporate checkbook. Say you're a business owner and you go to a conference, you know, when we went to conferences or conventions, and you decide to take your family. Great. You go to Key West. You come back, you hand your $20,000 Black American Express bill to your office manager, and they look at you and they're like, well, I know you took the, you know, your partner and kids. How do you want me to break it out? And you say to that person, it's none of your business. Just pay the bill. Now, that person knows you're cheating on taxes. And maybe they can't even take their kid to the seashore. And the kid texts mom one day and says, I need the last $200 for my you know, school trip. And what comes back into their head is, you know what? My boss just messed you know, the IRS is writing off all that amount of taxes, 200 bucks, what's it to him or what's it to her? And so that sort of walking the walk. Now, it's your business. You can do whatever you want. We have this thing in the fraud world called the fraud triangle, and it's been around forever. You have opportunity, pressure, and rationalization. We say the easiest thing to control for is opportunity. So, you know, don't have everyone have visa cards or don't have everyone be able to sign checks. The rationalization part, you can control. 
by the tone at the top. You can, I'm going to say, influence it by treating your employees well. This is a crazy story. Is A colleague of mine went to a business. He thought he was getting ripped off. So she dumps all the data, and he has to say who has what responsibility. And he comes to his administrative assistant, and he says to my friend, he goes, oh, don't bother looking at her. She's too dumb to steal from me. Guess who stole? Now, if I were there, if I were there, I would have said Sally or whatever her name is. Let's go to Neiman Marcus. Now, I wouldn't have done that because it's never right to steal. Absolutely. <laughs> but like, can you imagine having a boss that treats you like that? And the other thing is, so say they steal a half a million dollars. They don't steal it in one check. And the first check is going to be small. Over time, it increases. And sometimes it increases in a hockey stick sort of way. But that first time, they might be mad. You might have had to come in over the weekend while they're out skiing in Aspen or something like that. And that's the rationalization part. I really think that you can affect it. So the other thing I like to say is surprise and delight. And, you know, we're always supposed to surprise and delight our customers or our clients. An employer should do it by if they only look at checks over $5,000. You know what? Pull one that's a thousand. If they only look at stuff the last week of the month, pull something from the midweek of the month. You know, just keep people on their toes so they think you're paying attention. Again, all the artificial intelligence in the world isn't going to stop it when it's just writing checks or expense account fraud or, you know, vendor fraud. Yeah. You know, I know that you have a ton of fraud and embezzlement stories because you do have that podcast, you know, Great Women in Fraud. But I'm curious to know if you have a favorite fraud or embezzlement story that you can share with us before we wrap up. Oh, my God. It's like asking if I have a favorite child, um, which depends, depends on <laughs> You do. You do. You know week. you do. <laughs> it depends on the day of the week. Um, you know, I. so one thing is, is that most of these people – are very likable. And I have only had one victim said, I never liked her. And he went on to say, I didn't like her. Therefore, I never gave her access to, you know, my checking account. And of course, I said it very politely at the time. And I said, well, gee, that's funny, because she still stole $450,000 from you. He goes, I don't understand how she did it. He had a, um, he had a vineyard and a wine tasting room. And so she was in charge of it. <laughs> well, when I told him this is how she stole it, he's like, what? I don't understand. And I said, so what she would do, would she would use your Visa machine and she would refund to her various credit cards. Now, that's a control that, you know, credit card processing companies have stopped. It's like you can only refund to a card that's been charged. But back in the day, you could refund anyone as long as you had the, you know, the credit card number. And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, I have a wine tasting room. Now, we give them the wine, they try it, and if they like it, they buy it. There should never be a refund. And I said, well, if you looked at your statement, you'd see she was refunding all day long. And he just was gobsmacked. And the interesting, why I like that case is because she was like this cute young woman. She had done it before somewhere else. She didn't have a criminal history, but we knew she had done it before because this is the other thing. If they start stealing within six months of working for a new, at a new job, she, they've done it somewhere else. Whether or not they have a criminal history, they've done it somewhere else. I even say if they 
start stealing within a year, maybe sometimes they might've done it at the previous place. So she had done it at the previous place and um, she ended up getting a, I'm not going to say horrific. She got a really, the highest sentence a judge could have given her because he felt she did not take any responsibility for her actions. So it was, it was kind of one of my first really big cases in the embezzlement world. And so, um, and her name was Tiffany and she was very cute, but I don't think after spending, I think 78 months in prison, she's probably, you know, quite as, um, desirable. (laughs) She, she will need to, to take a little, uh, time for self-care i'm sure yes (laughs) oh goodness 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 kelly thank you this has been not only super informative but it's also been a lot of fun and if you're listening and you'd like to contact kelly and learn more about her work about investigating and stopping pink collar crime in its tracks or you want to learn about her book embezzlement how to prevent detect and investigate pink collar crime or, of course, the podcast, Great Women in Fraud. You can find that information in the show notes at businessconfidentialradio.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from Kelly's advice, someone who trusts their assistants and some of their employees a little too much, doesn't have checks and balances in place, please tell them about today's episode so they don't get ripped off. Share the link to the show and leave a positive review on your podcast app or at lovethepodcast.com forward slash business confidential. You've been listening to Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, and I hope you have a great day and an even better tomorrow. Thank you.